Uh, Let's pray before we open up the study. Lord, we thank you um, for another morning to come before you and and seek you in the word. God, I pray that you would speak to us, Lord, um, some heavy stuff, uh, this lesson that you have for not just Peter, but for all the disciples and all of us, God, um, as you discuss forgiveness and, and how important it is and your perspective about it. Lord, I pray that we would share your perspective, that we would learn from you and we wouldn't just understand, but we would apply these things. God, I pray if there's any uh, one of us that's harboring bitterness and resentment, Lord, that you would just give us the strength and the boldness to to to, to walk in obedience and, and forgive people as you have forgiven us. So speak to us through these scriptures. In Jesus' name, amen. Last few chapters, Jesus has been doing some really cool things. He's been revealing his ability. Uh, then he revealed his identity to the disciples, revealing that he truly was the Christ, the son of the living God. And then after that, he reveals his glory in Matthew chapter 17. And then he has this awesome encounter with Peter where he tells him to pay the temple tax, even though he didn't need to, and to grab this coin that he would find out of this fish's mouth. And then after that, He starts talking about kingdom living. If you recall last week in Matthew chapter 18, we discussed the topic of being unified through conflict resolution. And Jesus teaches us how to resolve conflict with each other. And the first thing he talks about really is his heart for his children. How important his children are to him. And because he loves his children so much, we ought to love our brothers and sisters in Christ. Because our brothers and sisters in Christ are his children. And when there's issues that arise, like the argument the disciples had in that last chapter about who was the greatest. He says, hey, when there's issues that come up, if your brother sins against you, you be the one that pursues conflict resolution. You be the one that pursues reconciliation. Don't wait for them to come to you. Don't wait for them to come to you and apologize. No, no. You, when they sin against you, you go to them and tell them, hey, what you did to me was wrong. And he goes through this series and this method of how to deal with conflict resolution. If your brother doesn't hear you, then bring two or three people to get uh, some other opinions and some accountability. And then if they still don't hear you, then bring it to the church or the spiritual authority. And then if they don't hear you, treat them like the heathens and the tax collectors. And how did Jesus treat heathens and tax collectors? He loved them. His disciples were heathens and tax collectors. So we see when everything else fails, love never fails. And there's a lot that we discussed with that and even getting into excommunication for a period of time uh, as necessary uh, to, to maintain the purity and holiness in the church in hopes that we can restore our brother or sister and they'll come back. Now, Jesus is going to get into the topic of forgiveness. Why? Because forgiveness is essential when dealing with conflict resolution. It's one thing to resolve the issue. It's another thing to forgive that person for how they sinned against you. And we're going to see that the Lord, he's going to communicate this parable and his whole heart about forgiveness is this. Forgive because you've been forgiven. If you've been forgiven from the Lord, it's your duty, it's your obligation to forgive others. Which brings me to the title of this teaching. Forgiveness from the forgiven. Forgiveness from the forgiven. Now, it's interesting, it would be Peter that has this conversation with the Lord. The message was for all the disciples, as we see, and obviously for us. But Peter, he says, look at verse 21. Then Peter came to him and said, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times? Peter's trying to be like super spiritual here. So the rabbis, they would teach that if your brother sinned against you, then you were obligated to forgive them three times and no more than three times. And Peter says, Lord, if my brother sins against me, how many times should I forgive him? Seven times? Like that would make me very forgiving, right? He's trying to make himself look spiritual before the Lord. And look at how the Lord answers him. Verse 22, Jesus said to him, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven. The rabbis taught a limited forgiveness. Jesus, what he's teaching is unlimited forgiveness. For my mathematicians out there, what's seven times 70? 
Oh, you're good. 490, right? So what's Jesus saying? You are obligated to forgive your brother 490 times and no more. No, right? So, so I've been keeping track and this person has sinned against me 489 times because I've counted them. 490 is coming. This is the last time. Once 491 happens, then no more forgiveness. Is that what the Lord's saying? No, absolutely not. What he's talking about is unlimited forgiveness. If you're going to count how many times somebody has sinned against you, that's a whole nother issue. Okay. Especially if you count up to 490 times. I, I don't know how many people in here, including myself, can count to 490, but I wouldn't waste the time to do it. Jesus is saying, no, 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 not three times, not seven times, not a limited amount of forgiveness, unlimited forgiveness. And then he's going to teach this parable in verses 22 to 35 to explain not only our need for forgiveness, but our need to forgive others. Look at Matthew chapter 18, verse 23. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. And when he had begun to settle his accounts, one has brought, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. So the king in this story is a picture of God. This certain king is God. And he goes to settle accounts, which will, he, he will do with every person on the face of the earth. And it says there's this one servant in particular that owed him 10,000 talents. Okay. 10,000 talents, scholars say, would be somewhere in the range of 12 million to 1 billion dollars. If you owed somebody 12 million to 1 billion dollars, would you be able to pay that? Don't answer me if you could. Most of us couldn't, right? Okay. We're not millionaires, billionaires, most of us. So what's Jesus trying to get across here? This is a debt that can't be paid. It's so much money that it simply cannot be paid. This servant will never be able to pay off this debt. First of six points today. We owe a debt we cannot pay. We owe a debt we cannot pay. The Lord, again, he's trying to starts off with this to try to help us understand our need for forgiveness. But that's us in many ways. We are this servant. We're indebted to the Lord, a debt we simply cannot pay. The Bible says in Romans chapter 6, verse 23, says, For the wages of sin is death, meaning that our indebtedness to the Lord because of our sin, it leads not only to physical death. Yes, we're all going to die, but spiritual death as well, meaning that we will be those that don't believe in the Lord, we owe the Lord not only our lives, but our souls. Because of our sin, we've accumulated this debt. The wages of sin is death. So we know this debt cannot be paid. The wages, the cost, it's simply unbearable. When I think about what I really owe the Lord, I owe him death and eternity and hell. That is like, that is unbearable. That is a a debt I can't even fathom paying. However, as we'll see, even with this servant, the problem comes when we think that we can pay the debt. When we think that we can do something to pay off this debt that we're indebted to, to the Lord. In Matthew chapter 18, verse 26, he says, I will pay you all, meaning I will pay off this debt. We do this sometimes in our Christian walk. We think that through good works, we can be forgiven. I can work for my salvation. But we see that's not simply the, t- the, the, the truth when we look out, look at the scriptures. See, Good works won't lead us to forgiveness. We can't pay off this debt. That's the whole principle. That's the whole mentality about the gospel. There's a debt that cannot be paid. What would we have to do to pay this debt? We'd have to pay the price that the Lord paid. We'd have to live a perfect sinless life and then die the death that he did on the cross. That would be the only way to pay off this debt. But we know that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. None of us are able to pay this debt. That's the point. This debt is impossible. But as we'll see in this text and throughout the scriptures, that what's impossible with man is possible with 
who God, right? So we see, and we'll see in the story, the only way this debt can be taken care of is if the master takes care of it, which he will. Look at Matthew chapter 18, verse 25. But as he was not able to pay, his master commanded that he be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and that payment be made. So the servant, he didn't mind building up all this debt, accumulating all this debt until what? Until he was faced with the consequences. The consequences being him losing his family and even his own freedom. Point number two, the consequences of debt is a reality check. The consequences of debt is a reality check. What do I mean? Anyone ever have student loans? Or credit card debt? You don't have to raise your hand. I have in the past. But what happens? In the beginning, when we make those decisions, let's say it's student loans. Uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go to school. I don't really know what I want to do, but I'm going to go to school anyways because that's what culture tells me to do. And I'm going to go to school and figure it out for a few years. And I might spend five to seven years in college until I finally get my degree. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get student loans because... I'm able to get student loans. All I have to do is sign my name and there's five, ten, fifteen, twenty thousand dollars in my bank account. Like, yeah, that's a, that's a great route to go until what? Until after graduation or when you drop out and you're sent that first bill. That this is how much money you owe. And then it's like, oh, oh man, maybe that wasn't such a wise choice for me to uh, accumulate all that debt and get all that student loans. Not that student loans are bad. But we have to think about the consequences of the student loans. We're going to have to pay them back eventually. Same thing with credit cards, right? Well, had a bad month. Not as much money came in. But I have this credit card and I really want this thing. I saw this thing online or I saw this thing at the store. And I'm just going to swipe it. One little swipe and I got what I want. Until what? You're sent the bill. And then you got to pay for this. And then there's what? A reality check. You realize, oh my gosh, this debt that I've been accumulating, I'm going to actually have to pay someday. Now we're talking about finances, but the Lord's heart is about sin in general. There, there's consequences of sin. We don't mind sin in a little bit, just a little bit, until what? Until we're faced with the consequences of our sin. See, when we're in sin or we commit a sin, most of the time we minimize it. And sometimes we'll even convince ourselves that it's not that bad or that it's not even a sin. But the Bible says in Proverbs chapter 16, verse 25, that there's a way that seems right to a man and it ends in death. We might think that this sinful lifestyle or this sinful habit is going to lead me to, to life or, or happiness or pleasure. But in all reality, Bible says that that leads us to death. The problem is with us is when we look at sin and we fall into sin, we not only minimize it, but we deceive ourselves. This isn't going to lead to death. This isn't really going to have the consequences that the Lord talks about in his word. There's not really going to be all those consequences. I'm not really going to have to pay a price for the debt or the sin that I've accumulated. Why do we do that? Well, in Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 9, it says this, that the heart is wicked and deceitful above all things. Who can know it? We deceive ourselves and we think either it's not that bad or I'm going to get away with this. I'll be the one person that gets away with the sin. I mean, yeah, I know God's like omnipresent and omniscient and, and he's there and he knows, but eh, he's, I'm under grace. He, he, he's not going to give me a consequence for this specific sin. We'll convince ourselves that it's not a big why again because our hearts are deceitful and that's from the enemy he's trying to lead us to that yeah, yeah, yeah swipe the card sin a little have a little fun it's just it's just a little one it's not a big deal it's not like you killed somebody it's just like a little bit of pleasure and it'll convince you as well as your deceitful heart that you're never going to have to pay the consequences for this sin. But the Bible tells us that's not true. There are consequences for our sin. Even for those that believe in the Lord, yes, we might not receive judgment, but we will receive a discipline or we will receive like this text loss. This man, because of his debt, because of his sin, he lost his family. He lost his freedom. And that's what sin does to us. The consequences of our sin will be loss. It'll be loss of something. For me, it was just that before I came to the Lord, 
The things that I were do, was doing were, were so sinful. Uh, but sin wasn't even in my vocabulary. I know certain things that I did were wrong, but other things I didn't think that were, uh, were b- that bad. I was only really hurting myself. Until what? And still, until I started facing consequences. Until I started losing relationship. I remember just before about when things started to come around. I wasn't good yet. Didn't have a relationship with the Lord yet. But I remember one Thanksgiving, my parents told me, you can't be here for Thanksgiving. You can't be with us for Thanksgiving. You're a mess. We don't trust you. All these different things. Like, oh my gosh, really? I can't be with you for Thanksgiving. I've never not been with my family for Thanksgiving. How can I, how did it get here? consequences of sin. I thought I could just do whatever I want and get away with all these things until I was faced with some of these consequences. And like this servant, I almost lost everything. I certainly lost relationships for a time period. And I remember when that happened, it's like, it's gotten to this point. I can't be there for Thanksgiving. It was a reality check for me. You better wake up because the things that you're doing do have consequences. Don't convince yourself. Otherwise, don't be self-deceived. This man He was self-deceived. He accumulated all this debt, probably thinking he wasn't going to have to pay it back until he was faced with the consequences. You're going to lose your family. You're going to lose your freedom. Same thing goes for us with our sin. When we sin, we will lose something. Even if it's just the peace of God and a clear conscience, there's always loss when there's sin. Matthew chapter 18, verse 26 The servant therefore fell down before him saying, Master, have patience with me and I will pay you all. So the servant, when faced with the consequences of his sin, he falls at the master's feet and pleads in humility for mercy and forgiveness. Point number three, humility is produced when consequences are realized. Humility is produced when consequences are realized. Once he's faced with the consequences, then he's brought to this place of humility. When we realize what we deserve for the things that we've done in our life, when we realize the the wages of sin is death, when we realize the consequences of our sin and we're faced with the consequences of our sin, the only reasonable response is in humility, fall at the master's feet and beg, plead for mercy and forgiveness. That was his heart. He wanted to bring him to that place. There's this great story that I absolutely love. In Luke chapter 7, we see something somewhat similar. Uh, In Luke chapter 7, we see this woman. She's referred to as the sinful woman. It's believed that her specific sin was prostitution, okay? So she was believed to be a prostitute. And look what happens. I just want to read a couple verses in Luke chapter 7, verse 37. It says, And behold, a woman in the city who was a sinner, when she knew that Jesus sat at the table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of fragrant oil and stood at his feet behind him weeping. And she began to wash his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head. And she kissed his feet and anointed them with the fragrant oil. So we have to understand some culture here. And then I'll hammer home the point. But what we're seeing here is this woman who's a simple woman, believed to be a prostitute. She comes to Jesus. She's likely heard him teach or watched him do some miracles. Somehow, some way, she's drawn to Jesus and she knows who he is. She knows he's able to forgive her of her sin. So what she does is she lays down at his feet. What she does in laying down at his feet, she also brought an alabaster flask of fragrant oil and she begins to pour the oil on his feet and wipe the feet with her tears and her hair. Now we have to understand something. So uh, in that culture, the hair and the fragrant oil like perfume were the things that prostitutes used to seduce or entice men. Okay, so the very tools that she uses, the hair in in that culture is like a a girl wearing a bikini or something. It's like a, oh my gosh, the hair. That's why they cover their heads uh, so often. So this woman, she's taking literally the tools that she uses for her sin, her hair and the oil, and she's laying it at the feet of Jesus. See, 
She knows what her sin has done to her. It's brought her nothing but pain and misery. And what she does is respond in humility. This was an act of humility and her actions were a pleading of mercy and forgiveness from the Lord. She responds, she responded with humility, begging for mercy. And we see the Lord responded to her and gave her just that. But there's a difference with what happened in Luke chapter 7 and what's happening in Matthew chapter 18. This man, he pleads, he begs for mercy. He does something very similar. But as we'll learn in this text, it's not just about begging and pleading for mercy and forgiveness. It's about repentance too. It's about choosing to walk away from, turn away, turn the other way. Was what it literally means, repentance that you don't keep falling back into that same thing. You purpose to get that sin out of your life. See, it's one thing to plead for mercy and forgiveness. It's another thing to repent of those sins that required you need to be forgiven. If you look at 2 Corinthians chapter 7, Paul talks to us about repentance and he tells us what it ought to look like. If you look at 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 10, it says this, For godly sorrow produces repentance, leading to salvation, not to be regretted. But the sorrow of the world produces death. So he's comparing and contrasting the godly sorrow and worldly sorrow. Look what he says in verse 11. For observe this very thing, that you sorrowed in a godly manner. What diligence it produced in you. What clearing of yourselves, what indignation, what fear, what vehement desire, what zeal, what vindication. In all these things, you proved yourselves to be clear in this matter. Paul says there's a difference between godly sorrow and worldly sorrow. Worldly sorrow would be this. I've been in this specific sin. I'm practicing this specific sin and I get caught. And now I get caught and I'm faced with the consequences of this sin. And I'm sorrowful, not because I sinned against the Lord, but because I'm facing consequences. And honestly, if I wasn't caught in this thing, I would have just kept doing what I'm doing. But I am sorrowful that I face consequences and I face loss. Godly sorrow is this. I can't believe I sinned against God with all he's done for me, with how he's forgiven me. Lord, I don't want to do this regardless. Maybe you didn't face the consequences and just the sheer conviction and the separation and the relationship with the Lord is enough to motivate you to stop doing it, to at least try. And that's what he's saying. Something was produced in these people in Corinth. They turned from their sin. There was a character quality attached. He talks about zeal. He talks about clearing of your He talks about the fear of the Lord, the desire. They didn't want to do this thing anymore. What's the point? The difference between the woman in Luke chapter 7 and the man here in Matthew chapter 18 is godly sorrow versus worldly sorrow. We'll see this man. He's sorrowful because he's losing something, but he hasn't truly repented as we'll understand as we get further along in the story. Back in Matthew chapter 18, Matthew chapter 18, verse 27. Then the master of that servant was moved with compassion, released him, and forgave him the debt. So we see this man says, I'll pay you all of it. He can't pay all of that. So the master, he's moved with compassion because of this man's humility, pleading for mercy and forgiveness. And because of his compassion for this man, what does he do? He takes care of the debt. He wipes away the debt. And that's exactly what the Lord does for us. He takes care of a debt that we simply couldn't. Point number four, the master paid the debt that you couldn't. The master paid the debt that you couldn't. Consider how Jesus paid that debt. He lived a perfect life, a sinless life. The only one that's ever done. He fulfilled the law and then he died for for the world, so that the world could be forgiven. He was brutally tortured. He suffered greatly, and he did all of those things so that we could be forgiven for the sins that we've committed against him. In Colossians chapter 2, verse 14, it says just that. In other words, Colossians 2, 14 
says, oh, look at verse 13, sorry, uh, context, 13 and 14. And you, being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he has made alive together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses, having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us, and he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. The Lord, the way that he was able to bestow forgiveness on us was through the cross. He suffered, he was pierced, he was beaten, beard ripped out, so many different things, something unimaginable that the scriptures capture, but we really couldn't imagine it. Even seeing passion of the Christ, it was worse than that. He was unrecognizable. His face, you couldn't even recognize that it was Jesus anymore. In Passion of the Christ, it's brutal, but you can recognize who that actor is. Such unbearable pain the Lord walked through, and he did it all for us. That was the price that needed to be paid, and he did it for this reason. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, it says, He became sin, who knew no sin, that we could become the righteousness of God in him. He died for us. He became sin. He bore the weight of all of our sins, not only so that we could be forgiven, but so that we could be declared righteous, have relationship with God now and forever in eternity. And we're going to see the Lord uses this in this teaching. There's a debt that can't be paid. The master paid it. And because the master paid it, We have an obligation and a duty to forgive others. What he did so that we could be forgiven, we have an obligation to to bestow that same forgiveness towards others. And that's where he's really going to get into in these next few verses. In Matthew chapter 18, verse 28, But that servant went out and found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. So this guy, after he's forgiven, he goes out to find this guy. Like he's seeking him out. Okay, and he laid his hands on him and took him by the throat saying, pay me what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down at his feet and begged him saying, have patience with me and I will pay you all. And he would not, but went and threw him in prison till he should pay the debt. So this servant, though he's received mercy from the master of a greater debt than what this guy owed him, he chose to hold this debt against this man, and then he puts him in prison. Putting him in prison means he can't pay the debt anyways. He just wants to punish him for the debt that he accumulated. There's cruelty in this. There's a reality that this man doesn't understand the Lord's heart for forgiveness. He has, he doesn't believe in the full concept of biblical forgiveness. Why do I say that? It's point number five. If you believe in forgiveness, then you will be forgiving. If you believe in forgiveness, you will be forgiving. Meaning if I truly believe that the Lord's forgiven me of all my sins, then there's not room for unforgiveness in my heart. It's my obligation. It's my duty to forgive others of a lesser debt than what the Lord forgave me of. But forgiveness, we see it's a two-way street. We need to receive forgiveness, which can be hard for some. Receiving forgiveness from the Lord. We can hold sins against ourselves and self-condemnation and all these different things. So for some, it's hard to receive forgiveness. This servant didn't have that problem. (laughs) He had no problem receiving forgiveness, having the debt wiped away. The other point of forgiveness is extending forgiveness. We receive forgiveness and we extend forgiveness. Because we've received forgiveness, our duty is to extend forgiveness. This is the problem that the servant has. He's fine with getting cleared of his debt, but he's not fine with forgiving others of their debt. See the servant? He had a skewed view of his sin. He didn't see how bad his sin was, how bad his debt was. He was self-deceived. Oh, well, I accumulated the debt. I didn't really think I was going to have to pay it anyways. And I didn't face the consequences. I didn't have to pay it, but I'm going to make the next guy pay it. He's full of pride. He's blinded by pride and entitlement. He thinks I deserve to be forgiven. And some of us can fall into that as well. Well, the Lord, yeah, he died on the cross. I'm his child. I deserve to be forgiven. Let's be real. They don't deserve to be forgiven, but I do deserve to be forgiven. That's where he was. He has this mentality of entitlement. He doesn't see his sin for what it is. He doesn't understand how great this debt was and how the Lord forgave him of it. And as we see, his repentance wasn't sincere. 
His repentance was insincere, right? Lord, I'll fall down at my, at your feet and I'll display worldly sorrow because I don't want to lose my family and my freedom. But I'm not really sorrowful about how I hurt you and how it's more than just uh, sin in general. It's, it's, it's this specific sin and acquiring this debt that I've done against you. And there's no godly sorrow in this man. He's not forgiving the other man in light of the forgiveness that's been bestowed on him. And this is the main heart of this text. It's said like this in Ephesians chapter 4 verse 32. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32. Paul writes, And be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. He says, forgive one another as God in Christ forgave you. Forgive others in light of the forgiveness that you've received from the Lord. Meaning, I need to consider all that God's forgiven me before I hold anything against anyone. When I realize how much he's forgiven me for. Okay, somebody might have sinned against you once or even 490 times. But that's nothing compared to how many times you sinned against the Lord. And that's what he's getting at. Forgive others as you have been forgiven. Don't forget the debt that you've been cleared from. See, you can't truly believe that Jesus forgave you for all your sins and hold unforgiveness against someone. There's a problem there with that, with that faith, with that understanding. If we truly believe that Jesus forgave us of every sin we've committed in the past, present, and future, then forgiveness is going to be my reasonable response. It's naturally going to come out of me. Not that it's always easy, and we'll talk about that in a minute, but it's necessary, and it's our obligation. See, if we're holding or harboring bitterness and resentment in our heart towards anyone, and I know there's people in here that have gone through some serious, difficult, tragic circumstances, but the Lord's saying, regardless of how bad that was, it's nothing compared to how much I forgave you. What you deserve is so much worse than that, but I didn't give you what you deserve. I gave you something so much better. I gave you grace. I gave you mercy. I gave you all these different things. If we're holding unforgiveness, bitterness, resentment towards anyone, then we're just as bad as this unforgiving servant. We read this text, anyone that reads this, wow, you just were forgiven and then you grab this dude by the throat and you make him pay the price. Not only that, you put him in prison. And we could look at that like, dude, this unforgiving servant is like a horrible man. But we do it anytime we hold bitterness and resentment in our heart towards anyone. We are the unforgiving servant when we are unforgiving. As bad as that looks, that's the point. Jesus is saying, that's you when you harbor bitterness and resentment, when you aren't forgiving towards others, regardless of what they've done to you, regardless of how much they may owe you. See, when we look at forgiveness, sometimes in our English language and even other cultures, we, we connect forgiveness to emotions, okay? And we think, uh, this person wronged me, this family member, this friend, this child, whoever it was, this person wronged me, and, and, and I, I don't feel forgiveness in my heart towards them. And, and, and I don't feel like forgiving them. If they apologize to me, maybe, but there's just not the feeling there. We see in the scriptures, just like love, that forgiveness is an action. It's a choice. It's an act of obedience. It's a step of faith. It goes beyond our emotions. He says, choose forgiveness. It's, it's not a, it doesn't matter if you don't feel like it. The biblical principle is to choose it regardless of your feelings, just like love. Yes, there's emotions connected to love, but when we look at the Bible, the definition of love, it's an action word. Paul tells us what love does. Jesus tells us what love looks like. Forgiveness is the same. It's, a, it's an action word. It's not necessarily an emotion thing. And he'll address emotions later, and I'll get into it when he addresses the heart later. I want to read this quote by Andy Stanley. Great book that I read a while back. It says this, In the shadow of my hurt, forgiveness feels like a decision to reward my enemy. But in the shadow of the cross, forgiveness is merely a gift from one undeserving soul to another. 
meaning. When I'm feeling that hurt, when I'm feeling that bitterness, when I'm feeling that resentment, there's almost a power that I have over my enemy and over the person that's done this thing to me. If I can hold on to this, I have some type of control. But when I look at the cross and how the Lord forgave me and filter my forgiveness through him, then I realize I'm just as bad as him. I'm undeserving of forgiveness just like he is. But the Lord still chose to forgive me, not because I deserved it, but because he loved me. And that's his, that's his heart. That's his message. That's what he's trying to, to get at. Our, our forgiveness has to be through the lens of the cross and not our emotions, regardless of how we feel. Think about how Jesus felt. Okay. When you look at the Garden of Gethsemane, uh, just before Jesus was betrayed and uh, uh, persecuted and then suffered, he was emotional to say the least. He was weeping. There was blood coming out of his forehead because he had so much anguish. Why? Because he knew for a moment in time, for the first time ever in history, he would be separated from his father. And not for something that he did, for something we did. And that broke his heart. That crushed him. That hurt him. Forgiving us, extending forgiveness to us, it caused Jesus pain. It caused him suffering. It hurt him. See, for us too, sometimes when we extend forgiveness, it can hurt us. It can cost us something. At the very least, it will cost us the ability to harbor bitterness and resentment and unforgiveness. Because again, when we have that, when we hold the debt against someone, we have some type of control over them. You owe me. You owe me this thing. You owe me this thing until what? Until we forgive them. Now what? You don't have control over them anymore. You're giving that control to the Lord and allowing the Lord to deal with the situation. There's often pain. There's often hurt. There's often loss even when we choose forgiveness. But it's exactly what the Lord did. He endured so much emotion, so much pain, so much heartache just so that we could be forgiven. Now, when you look at that, uh, forgiveness could cause some pain. It could cause a lack of, of, of control. It could cause all these different things. There's a tendency in our lives to cope with problems and not deal with them. And I'm using the coping word in my own terms. Okay, so what do I mean? Say somebody sinned against you. Say somebody wronged you. And you say, dude, this person wronged me and I'm cutting off relationship." I don't want anything to do with them anymore. I don't forgive them for what they did. I just separated myself from them. And when we cope with the issue, what we do is this. We make our hearts callous. We make our hearts hard. Why? So we can't be hurt again. I'm going to make my heart hard and calloused and I'm going to harden my heart against this person because it hurts so bad when they betrayed me. It hurts so bad when they sinned against me. That's coping. Just cutting the person out of your life. Now, I agree there's certain circumstances where you shouldn't be around everybody and there's certain people that you shouldn't hang out with, but that's not what I'm talking about. In relationships in general, we have this tendency to, this person hurt me, forget three times, forget seven times, they wronged me one time and they're no more in my life. I cut them off. And instead of dealing with the issue, instead of forgiving that person, I'm harboring bitterness. I'm harboring resentment. My heart's grown calloused. And you know what happens then? It affects every other relationship in your life. Because the Bible tells us that bitterness, it doesn't just stick with you, it spreads. Bitterness spreads and you can even see it on some people. That bitterness, it's all over them. It's like, wait, you're a Christian. Where's the joy of the Lord? It's because you didn't forgive someone. It's because you're still harboring bitterness and resentment and now your heart is hard. And it's not only hard to the port, towards the person, it's hard towards God because God allowed that thing to happen to you in your life. So it's spread, it's like a virus, it's like a disease and it won't just destroy you, it will destroy everyone around you. And now because of that one bad relationship that you chose to cope with and not forgive that person, now you can never have the, the type of relationship the Lord wants for you until... You choose to forgive that person as the Lord communicates in this text. See, forgiveness, it's an act of love. In 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 8, it says, Love covers a multitude of sins. Love covers a multitude of sins. The, the excellent way, the most excellent way is love. The thing that never fails is love. Regardless of what someone's done to us, love covers a multitude of sins. 
regardless of the multitude of sins that they've committed against us, it doesn't compare, it doesn't compete to the sins that we've committed against the Lord. And his love covered our multitude of sins. He asks us to do the same thing. See, Maybe you have someone in your life and you could think back and maybe this stimulated something in your mind or in your heart. There might have been someone in your past. Maybe it was a a friend. Maybe it was an ex-boyfriend or girlfriend or family member or whoever it may be. And you realize right now, maybe for the first time, that you've just been coping with this situation. You just cut them out of your life and you still harbor bitterness and resentment and all these different things towards them. You're destroying yourself. And that's what the Lord's saying. Don't do that to yourself. Why would you destroy yourself? Why would you bound yourself to bitterness when I've freed you from it? And I've given you direction. I've given you my word. I've given you my way to be delivered from this thing, to be freed from this thing. So I want you to consider that. As we continue on, if there's someone that I've just coped with the situation, but but I didn't really deal with it and I haven't truly forgiven them, do a favor to yourself. Free yourself from that through the avenue of forgiveness. Now, I will say, and I'm going to say it a couple more times, there's certain people that you absolutely should not reach back out to. I'm not going to talk, I'm not going to reach out to like past drug dealers and people that I had different uh, encounters and relationship with and I wronged them or whatever. I'm not doing that. Why? Because that's not in my best interest. That will cause more harm than good. But I will say there's people that I had issues with that, yeah, maybe I don't address them personally, but before the Lord, no, I've forgiven them. I know wisdom says I shouldn't talk to them, but I have forgiven them. And then there's others that there needs to be a conversation. They need to know that they've been forgiven. They need to know the power of forgiveness and the freedom that's attached to it. In Matthew chapter 18, verse 31. So when his fellow servants saw what had been done. So he has some servants with him that that saw what he did to this guy. They were very grieved and came and told their master all that had been done. Then his master, after he had called him, said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you begged me. Should you not also have had compassion on your fellow servant, just as I had pity on you? And his master was angry and delivered him to the tortures until he should pay all that was due to him. So my heavenly father also will do to you if each of you from his heart does not forgive his brothers, his trespasses. This is very heavy. The Lord is being very serious. Forgiveness, it's not just a suggestion. He's saying it's a commandment. We must be forgiving towards others regardless of the debt that's owed, regardless of how they've sinned against us. And he says that if we don't forgive, we're inviting judgment into our lives. Sixth point. Choosing unforgiveness is choosing judgment. Choosing unforgiveness is choosing judgment. Now, this is a somewhat tricky text to understand the Lord's heart. So wait a minute. What does that mean? If I get saved and then I have an issue with a brother or sister, I don't forgive them. Then do I lose my salvation? No, no, no. That's not what the Lord is saying here at all. What he's saying is, if you've truly been forgiven and you understand the power of forgiveness, you will forgive people. You will choose to forgive them. Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. When we walk in obedience, it's evidence that we have a true relationship with the Lord. When we just, okay, maybe it was an altar call and my life looks nothing like what the scriptures look like. We're all a work in progress. I'm saying nothing. Then the reality of that was likely just like this servant, a a cry, a, a plea for mercy and forgiveness without repentance. That's not what he's talking about here. He's saying, no, no, no. If you've truly been forgiven and you really consider how much you've been forgiven of, you will naturally choose to forgive others. Not that you'll always feel like forgiving them, but you'll choose to walk in obedience and forgive them as Christ forgave you. We see James put this in other words in James chapter 2, same concept. James chapter 2, verse 13. says this James 2:13 says for judgment it was without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy mercy triumphs over judgment meaning 
that if we choose not to extend mercy, if we choose not to extend forgiveness, then we're inviting judgment in our lives. He says mercy triumphs over judgment. Mercy destroys judgment. And for the believer, it's not that you'll lose your salvation, but the reality of it is your judgment can come in the form of, again, being bound to that bitterness from robbing yourselves of the abundant life that the Lord wants for you. He's given the av- giving you the avenue of freedom through forgiveness. But when we choose to not let go of things, we're robbing ourselves of the blessings of the Lord. We're robbing ourselves of joy. We're robbing ourselves of the fruits of the Spirit. Spurgeon says it like this. I, I like this one. He says, we incur greater wrath by refusing to forgive than by all the rest of our indebtedness. We incur greater wrath by refusing to forgive than by all the rest of our indebtedness. Meaning this is one of the things the Lord focuses on so much. Yes, there's many different sins. But this one, the Lord says, if you're not forgiving... You might want to question whether you've truly received forgiveness. If you're not forgiving other people, then you don't understand what I've forgiven you of. Once you understand what I've forgiven you of, you will forgive other people regardless of what they've done to you. Now, there's an important part here. He says in verse 35, So my heavenly Father also will do to you if each of you from his heart does not forgive his brothers his trespasses. There's the emotion side. Okay, from the heart. Now, this is the reality. Sometimes we don't feel like we've forgiven someone and we harbor those things. But forgiveness is not just an act of love. It's an act of faith, meaning I'm choosing to be obedient to what God called me to, regardless of how bad it hurts, regardless of how bad I don't want to do it. And when we choose obedience to the Lord, specifically with forgiveness, the heart will follow. Meaning when we walk in obedience to the Lord, what we're saying is, God, I'm taking care of what, what, what you told me to. I'm addressing the issue. I'm forgiving this person before God and before man to them. But the Lord's the one that changes the heart. The Lord will work on the heart. If we choose to walk in obedience, God will take care of the heart. That's how it is across uh, all throughout our Christian walk. There's certain things the Lord tells us to do. Initially, we don't really want to do them, but once we start doing them, we begin to see, oh, there's some heart changes there. I repented of that specific sin. I started picking up that, that specific spiritual discipline, and now there's a, there's a heart change. Something's happening inside of me. And that's what the Lord's talking about. When we choose obedience and forgive, the heart is sure to follow. Now we have to think about this. I want to bring you back. Remember when you first received forgiveness from the Lord. Maybe it was like the servant and, and, and you pleaded, you realized you're dead. Oh my gosh, the wages of sin is death. Like, this is what I owe the Lord. And he loved me so much that he was willing to pay the price. And you pleaded, you begged, God, forgive me. Forgive me of my sins. Forgive me of all these different things that I've done wrong in my life. And remember that moment. Remember the release. Remember the freedom. Remember the like, this is almost unbelievable. Like all those things that I've done in my life, wipe clean. I don't even have to worry. Like, how does that happen? That's how much the Lord loves us. And that's the power of forgiveness. How much would you have to hate someone to not want them to experience that freedom? To not want them to experience the freedom that comes from forgiveness. The bitterness, resentment, yeah, it's destroying us. It's destroying them. But love says, hey, hey, forgive them as you've been forgiven. Allow them to experience that freedom. I'll tell you a story. I've said it before, but it's one of the most powerful stories I've ever heard on for the topic of forgiveness. I have a friend named Stephen Bromstrup, uh, grew up with, played baseball with, went to school with, uh, when he was 16, he had a Trans Am, fat, pretty fast car. Uh, and he was leaving a party and he drove his, he was getting like egged on by some of my other friends, go faster, go faster, go faster. And he's on this dirt road and this dirt road leads into uh, a decently busy highway, but it was late at night. So they didn't think anyone was there. So they're flying down this dirt road and they T-bone this car and they kill two girls in this car. These are young girls. They were in middle school. Stephen was such a nice kid, such a loving, just good, good guy. And he killed these two girls, sent to prison. Now he didn't have a, a life term or anything. He 
He was there for, I think, about eight years. And one of the most amazing things that happened to him there in prison was one of the fathers of those girls came to him, met him in the prison and told him, Stephen, I forgive you because Christ forgave me. That gave Stephen the ability to see Christ through that man. And Stephen became a Christian. He developed a relationship with the Lord. When we extend forgiveness, we're giving people an opportunity to see Jesus. And that might be the very thing that leads them to salvation and eternity with the Lord and relationship with him here and now. Why would we not want that for someone? I get being angry. I get being bitter. I get having things against someone. But if it means God might use your forgiveness to save someone's soul, it's like, who am I to control that? Who am I to harbor these things against them and prevent them from seeing the forgiveness that the Bible talks about, the forgiveness that the Lord wants to bestow on them. There's so much power in forgiveness. The Lord wants us to remember, recall that power and how we were first forgiven and bestow that same forgiveness on others that they might experience the freedom that the Lord wants for us. We see in the text that that forgiveness isn't just a, a suggestion. It's not just like a good idea or like you probably should do this. No, no, no. The Lord says we must do it. It's a commandment. We got to do it. And he doesn't just tell us to do it for the other person. He tells us to do it for ourselves, that, that we won't be robbed from this, this blessed life that he wants for us, that we won't be robbed from love and joy and good relationships and all these different things. He's, bitterness will rob you from those things. If you have bitterness towards one person, it will affect the other people. He says, choose forgiveness. This is the way to free yourself from the burden of bitterness. When we're not choosing forgiveness, we're literally being disobedient to the Lord. And we're the ones that suffer from that. Yes, they suffer, but, but we suffer even more. If you have someone in your life, maybe someone came to, to mind. Um, I know in the last service, someone came, came to mind for me um, that, that maybe there was something that I overlooked or I didn't even really like, I didn't even realize there was unforgiveness. I would ask that, that, that you pray about that and you ask the Lord, hey, is there, is there anyone that I've been harboring bitterness and resentment towards in my life? Some issue, maybe it's recent, maybe it was a long time ago, but recognizing the Lord's desire for you to experience the freedom that comes through forgiveness and ask him, there's, is there someone that I need to forgive before the Lord? Is there someone that I need to forgive both before the Lord and to them that I have to have that conversation and tell, hey, look, you're forgiven. It's not about how I feel. It's about what God said. The feelings will come later. It's just choosing to walk in and act in what he calls us to do. If there's that person in your life, I would challenge you this week, pray about that and do something about it. If God calls you to reach out to that person and it's a safe, safe thing for you to do, how hard would it take? How hard would it be to, 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 to write a little letter to, to send a little message, to have a little phone call, to, to meet them one-on-one. It might be painful. It might hurt. The Bible says it might. But the experience of freedom that you'll have after that far outweighs the pain. God wants to free you from it. We want the freedom. We got to choose to walk in forgiveness. Please pray with me. Lord, thank you for this text, God, so, so powerful. How you forgave us, Lord, I pray that um, if any of us are harboring bitterness and, and resentment in our hearts towards anyone, that you would give us the strength, you'd give us the power, you'd give us the, the boldness, Lord, to, to forgive them. And God, through that, you would, you would free us of those things and you would um, help us to, to experience love and joy and peace and all these things that you desperately want for us. God, I pray that we wouldn't just hear these things, but we would do them, Lord, and, and we would see the fruit, we would see the benefit uh, of walking in your word specifically um, as it connects to, to forgiveness and, and forgiving others. Lord, we love you. We thank you once again for the forgiveness that you've bestowed on us. In Jesus' name, amen.